which is Genesis, the 22nd chapter. Can you pass this over to Johnny for me? And open it up so he'll know where it's at. Yeah, it's, uh, so Parshat's, the reading, and so we're at 22nd chapter, so what we're looking for. And I want to briefly do uh, a small little discussion uh, about how to pass the test of Imuna. We're going to talk about Abraham and and his test that he had with his son Isaac. And and so and then once we do that, we're going to break that. Go back to chapter nineteen. And we'll do some breakdown of the text some more as we did last Sunday. Um, the first verse of chapter 22, it says this. Now, I'm going to be reading from Ankylos. If you're reading from a different translation, Hamash, uh, some of the others, what are you reading from? ESV. ESV. You might see some word differences. But uh, in general, if you need to have some clarity, let me know. But it says this. After these things... The Lord put Abraham to the test. He said to him, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, lend now your son, your favorite one, with whom you love Isaac, and go to the land of worship and offer him there as burnt as a burnt offering before me and as of the mountains uh, that I will tell you. Let's stop right there for a second. When I read the first words, and these are, after these things, the Lord put Abraham to a test, I ask myself, why in the world does Abraham need another test? I mean, this guy is even told by the creator of the universe, I'm picking you and make a covenant with you because you are going to be faithful. You've been faithful to do all my commandments. Like, why does he need another test? We're going to discuss that for just a moment. And examine what that means, because ultimately it's it's it comes down to the same thing that we all have to experience in our journey toward finding our closest relationship with God, and that is this: that God is not interested in testing you about things in the in the world that has nothing to do with your integrity and your uh, loyalty and ethics and morality outside of the Word of God. He doesn't care. You, whatever you want to do in life, do it, enjoy it, have fun with it. Sure, he might cause some tests to cause you to feel like, wow, I'm being challenged here. Do I really trust God? Right? And it can be a test in your regular daily life, but if it doesn't have anything to do with you putting your trust in God, then it's just a normal life routine, right? It's just common things like the, the, the faucet not working your sink. God's not trying to test you, okay? However, if you're having a hard problems with your finances and you're really like trying to put your trust in God and you both, you're working hard, your spouse is working hard, everybody's doing everything they can and then just can't seem to get ahead and then all of a sudden right when you think you're getting ahead, something breaks and then all of a sudden you want to lose your mind, maybe that could be a test. You know, and you say, okay, I just need to trust God a little bit more. But Abraham, of all people, you know, he said he went through ten tests. The first test was leave your family. Just go. Go lech lecha. Find your way. Head out. Get out of town. Leave everything behind and go find the place that I'm going to show you. And now in this situation, 
Abraham's son Isaac is about 37 years old. He's a grown-up man. And Isaac is told, uh, Abraham is told, I want you to bring your son and go to the land of worship. What is what does Humash say? Does it say land of worship? Mount Moriah. What is Mount Moriah, guys? This is the land of Moriah. The land of Moriah. But it's interesting. It is the land of worship and offer him there as a burnt offering before me on the mountains that I will tell you. So where is he taking him? Jerusalem. Who is at Jerusalem at this time? Shem. Shem. The Melexotic, the right? The righteous king. Melexotic. Shem. Shem is the son of Noah. Shem was teaching in, in that region the righteousness of God. And Abraham had to go to this place and offer um, Isaac up. There is a story in the Midrash that says this, that Satan comes to... The Midrash, by the way, is, uh, is sort of an anthology of the oral tradition that talks about the text. Okay, So you'll not find it in this text itself, but it's, it's part of the Jewish oral tradition. He said that uh, Satan came to uh, Abraham and said, So where are you going? He said, I'm going to sacrifice. With a knife and wood? So... Why are you going to do a sacrifice with a knife and wood? And he goes, well, you know, just in case I'm there for a few days, I might need to, you know, find uh, some food and make some bread and do some other things because he had a lot of wood. He said, well, he said, um, it seems a little odd that you're going to go. I mean, he says, um, is it possible you're going to kill your son, sacrifice your son? And Abraham says, uh, Hashem said to go offer sacrifice. Right. So what's what does the Midrash say? And he says the conversation goes on and on until finally he says that what I'm doing is out of my purity and innocence to God. Now, of all things, you and I, when we think about sacrificing one of your children, we think that's just insanity. Right. This is crazy. But what was God testing Abraham on? Can somebody help me? I need help. Yes, sir. What was Obedience is one. Okay, that's good. What else? Loyalty. Loyalty to whom? To Hashem. To Hashem. How about, let's also add this. Abraham had spent all that time since he left Haran to the present day Israel. Beersheba, where he's at, Beersheba. And he was teaching everybody that there's only one God and that God abhors idol worship and the sacrifice of children to idols, because that was the common thing. People would bring their children for blessing and offer them as a sacrifice to a pagan god. Some people would even have a child for the purpose of sacrificing. So Abraham was telling them, don't sacrifice your children, this is a horrible thing. Then all of a sudden God is going to say, now go sacrifice your son. Can you imagine the battle that was going inside of his head? But regardless of what was going on in the battle, look at what Abraham does. Look at this. He says, verse 2, he said, I'm sorry, verse 3, Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey or ass. He led two of his young men, which was probably, you know, house uh, servants with him and Isaac, his son. He split the wood for burnt offering. He set out for a place which the Lord had told him. 
On the third day, it took about three days to get there from where he was at in Bathsheba. Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Abraham said to his young men, wait here with the ass. The boy and I will reach there and worship. And look at the next words. We will return to you. Wow, now that is some big faith when you know that God has asked you to sacrifice or offer your child. Now, do you think that he thought God was joking him? No. But at the same time, in the back of his mind, he's going, there is a logic to this. God has told me that he abhors human sacrifice, so he must have a plan. It's bigger than me because I don't understand how he's going to do it. Now, there is part of a Midrashic source in, in, in the oral tradition that says that Abraham actually failed the test. Have you guys heard this? No? Yes? First time I ever heard it. It says, when he, he was commanded to do this awful thing, he should have argued back in the name of morality and humanity, just as he did with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. You mean, remember when Sodom and Gomorrah and God says, I'm going to destroy them because of their wickedness? Abraham says, well, are you going to destroy them? What if I can find 40 good, righteous people you do it? And he made this bargain with God. And finally, got down to two, his, or his family, his lot and his children. It says, but he erred. This is what the text says, the, the Midrash says. He reached out his hand with a knife to slaughter his son. And had the angel not forestalled him, a terrible tragedy would have occurred. If so, why did God praise him? So the, what the text is, what the Midrash is saying, you know what, God, Abraham made a mistake. He actually was going to kill his son. Well, in reality, we know that that's not a mistake because God actually praised him for the whole act. Because it says in 22.12, he says, For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son from your, favor, your favored one from me. Now, according to the argument made by the proponents of this view, this is not uh, said in praise, rather in in sort of a critique toward them. It's found in uh, Yeri Shemaim, uh, which says that that the, the fear of God is far lower than one who loves God. So what was going on with Abraham? Here he's. He's there. He's about ready to plunge the knife into his son. The angel stops him. Uh, when the angel stops him, he looks over, and what does he find? He finds a ram with his horn caught in the bushes. And so he takes the ram, and it says that Isaac said to Abraham, his father, he said, Father, he answered, here I am, son. He said, where are the fire and the wood? Here are the fire and the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Abraham said, the sheep for the burnt offering is revealed uh, is revealed before the Lord, my son. What is uh, what is uh, uh, your text say? And Chumash. Uh, he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Here are the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the offering? And Abraham said, God will see the lamb for himself for the offering, my son. Okay. And the two of them went together. Right. Uh, so we learned from text last week this phrase that the two walked together it meant more than they just walked together. But since he was Abraham and Isaac, Isaac, Abraham really wanted to have a son that was like a chip off the old man's block. I mean, he really wanted a son just like him. And it said that Abraham, Abraham and Isaac, Isaac being about 37 years old, was in complete full step with his father and knew what was going on. He understood what was happening and was going along with it. Otherwise, any normal 37-year-old man would have probably fought with his father to keep from going to the altar. It says that Isaac crawled up on the altar, did not have to be uh, tackled or subdued in any way. 
Now, if God was testing Abraham, he was testing him for the fact that we said for obedience, Toby said that, you said it was being tested for loyalty. loyalty. Are you going to really do what I ask you to do? And third, we understand the big test is that Abraham's realizing, wow, if I do what he asked me to do, the the whole gig is up. I mean, the whole thing is up. I'm not going to be able to tell these pagans that they can't sacrifice their children. And why was it a test of loyalty? Because of this. Abraham knew what God had what God had taught from the descendants of, of Adam to Noah's son Shem and taught him about the laws of God, meaning there is no human sacrifice. Not a, per, a person cannot be sacrificed because God detests human sacrifice. And now he's going to have to do it? Ugh. What a battle. The true test of Amuna is this. And Amuna, I'm sorry, let me translate the word. Amuna means faith. That's the Hebrew word for faith. So what is the true test of faith? The true test of faith is this. Being able to do what God says to do, even though in your mind you battle about whether it's the logical thing to do or not to do. One of the biggest things that I find that most coming out of their previous life and begin to study the Torah is they wrestle with, well, this is what I believe, but this is what the Scripture says, and how do I get the two to work together, and where do I go with it? And the ultimate test for a person making a journey to connect to God is being able to rectify that. And often rectifying those two things is rarely saying, well, this is what I think in my logic. Now let me put it together with what God says. Because often they too don't mix at all. They just don't mix. And we can go down through a list of, we can go down through a ton of things right now within Scripture that most of us thought and imaged about God. And when we see what the Scripture says, it's something totally different. So what do you do? A person who has true faith and a true test of their faith is when they can say, this is what I think, this is what I've believed, this is what I've been taught, now this is what God says in the, in the Scripture, He wins. I don't win. That's, that's a tough, tough step for a lot, a lot of us. Why? Because most of us look at the, at the Scripture as something that is open to private interpretation. What's the danger of private interpretation? I'm just asking. What? Absolutely wrong. And you could be absolutely wrong thinking you're right. So what determines the what determines uh, what the Word of God says? Context. Language. What? By all means, right. So one of the things that I, I have said, and it's a, I've used this term many times, is called forensic biblical studies. We're, I don't know if you notice the detective shows, they talk about forensic analysis of evidence, and they prove a crime, you know, a guy that's committed some horrible crime, some 20 years later, forensic solves the whole crime when they had no idea who did it. Well, there is a forensic approach to study in Scripture just like in a crime, and that is this. Number one, the text that you are reading, you treat it as if it's a a crime scene. 
Okay, so picture a body with a chalk line around it. So you're reading a section of scripture and you're going, hmm, this, this, what does this mean? I mean, what's the context of this? The first thing that you need to do is try to find the forensic evidence. What is the forensic evidence of scripture? Language, Hebrew. If you don't know Hebrew, then you need to contact the source of someone who does know Hebrew. That's number one. Next, the forensic language, uh, the forensics of the language would be the context. You go so so whenever this subject matter is is breached in another place of scripture, what does it talk about? For example, the phrase that we read in the beginning that said this. Abraham arose in the morning and he saddled his ass. You think, oh, that just sounds nondescript. What's the big deal about it? But there's another text that says the exact same thing. And who was that? Balaam, a false prophet. He was so excited to go get his job done, he got up early in the morning and saddled his ass. That's what it's talking about. Wait, you mean to tell me Abraham was so excited to do something for God that he got up in the morning and normally, you got to remember, Abraham had servants. This guy was a very wealthy man. He had an army of probably three to 400 men. Think about what size community he had. He didn't get up and saddle his own mule in the morning. He was so excited, he got up and did it himself. Now we talk about the greatest mitzvah, the greatest act of righteousness to obey God is one who gets up immediately and runs to go do something righteous. Like a lion. Like a lion. Pursuing God's word like a lion. For example, if you know that someone is in need financially, be like a lion to go out there and to make sure you do something to give to them. Give them charity to help them out. If you know that there's something in your life that needs to be corrected, be like a lion to go out there, get up early in the morning, saddle up your life routine to try to make a change in your life. That is the test of your faith. Test of faith is not um, having some spiritual... uh, emotional, what's the word for it? Uh, experience. experience, yeah. That's not a test of your amuna. The test of amuna is, or your faith, is when you know that you see someone in need and you kind of get that check that like, I need to give this person some money, but you're also thinking about how much money you have and trying to balance it out. And you go, you know what? I'm going to do this because I know God is my source, not my job. Right? And you give money. That's a great feeling. That's a fantastic feeling. Or when you see that there's an opportunity for you to speak evil against someone and you don't do it. You close your lips and you go, yeah, that's not right. I mean, it makes you feel so good. You're so eager to do it. So, once again, context, the forensics, context, uh, textual uh, understanding Hebrew. And if you're at a crime scene, what is the next thing? Those are, you got to gather the forensic evidence. Meaning you got to scrape fingernails the whole nine yards. Here it's about the language, the Hebrew language and the context, period. You cannot determine if you don't know the context. It'd be like walking to a murder scene and having a police officer go, well, it's just my gut feeling that this is what happened here. Now, you don't go by your gut feeling. You go by what the evidence says. Because I wouldn't want to be taken to trial on the gut feeling of a police officer. I would want to be taken on trial based on the evidence found at the scene. Now, the next thing is you need witnesses. Right? Well, who would be convicted of a crime without witnesses? Very few people are, and especially according to Torah law, you can't be convicted in a crime without witnesses. So what witnesses you look for? Number one, you want eyewitnesses. Someone who was there at the time. 
someone who has the closest connection to the text. Well, if I'm studying the Hebrew Bible, and I really want to know the eyewitnesses, that I want to find the people that are the closest connection to that text. Who are the people closest, most closely connected to the original understanding of the text? Am Yisrael. All of Israel. The Jewish people. It's not any other religion. It's them. Because God gave them the text to preserve it. So that's number one. Number two. You have to go, well then who is possibly not a hearsay witness, but someone who knows information about the case? who knows information about the crime scene. They may not have eyewitnessed it, but they have other information. What they call corroborating evidence. Who would that be? Oral Torah. Right. The oral traditions that are passed down from Moses by the judges and later the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a great court of, of like the Supreme Court of the time of Israel in which they passed down the oral laws about uh, explanations of law. So that is the second thing. And if you can confirm the text through those three sources, you're going to be dead right about your summations. And if you're dead right about your summations, then if that's what God says, then do we have a right to debate it if we want to be righteous people full of faith? No. Now a person who's not interested in being a righteous person full of faith can look at the facts and go, well, this is what I believe anyway. I, we've seen shows, crime shows, where people were convicted all because of the opinion of a DA and, and law enforcement and later found out to be wrong. Right? So in, in the whole summation of things, we all need to be tested. But the test is simple. And that is, what does God say versus what I believe? And if what God says, it can be, if, if what God says I'm not really sure of, because I'm not sure of the context, I don't know the evidence, and I haven't really combed through it forensically, then you are responsible to do that. No one else is. Nobody else can tell you what to do. I, God never made this about a group of people. He made this about you. About you serving and knowing Him. And with today's technology, there's no reason why we can't know. So, with that being said, may Hashem increase your, your imuna, your faith. May you work wisely in parsing the scripture to know everything that you're supposed to know about the text. And if not, may He also give you someone to be a good teacher. Seek out a rabbi. That concludes this. Sure, now we're going to go to the text discussion.